I got a phone call and it was a police. Do you own such and such Anthony Street? And I was like, yeah, this is the one of the first ones I bought. It's been a serious incident that's happened in there. You know, I think someone was stabbed is what, what was told. Um, I had a break in in the other one. And I was like, all of this was just happening at once. And I was like, I need to, ch I just need to sell these. So I put them in a London auction, Barnard Marcus, sold them, pretty much made my money back. Didn't make any profit, I just, the wash the face, you know, whatever I put in, I pretty much got back. Welcome to another episode of the Isle of Monday podcast. Today we have multi-business owner, Terry Blackburn. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, appreciate your time. I wanted to speak to Terry because he's a multi-business owner mm -hmm. who has taken a hands-off role. You're also a podcast host. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also written a couple books. Yeah. So we want to see where he finds time, the energy and the motivation. Yeah, big question. Um, so how I find the time, first of all, um, I'm big on structure and I'm big on, I use a Google calendar, I use to-do lists and I prioritize every day. I mean, the most common question I get asked is probably how do I do everything that I do all at once? And it comes down to structure effectively. Um, I'm a big believer in health as in keeping your health right. So train most days, eating well, plenty of water, plenty of coffee, because if you if your body's right, your mind is right, and then I can do all of these things all at once. Whereas if I look at a period, if I haven't trained for let's say three, four days, haven't exercised, I feel like crap. And then I don't, I'm not a good leader, I'm not a good boss, I'm not a good partner, I'm not a good dad, I'm not a good at any of the things that I do. So that definitely comes into play. How do you find the time? You train early or late, and um, that gives you more energy to achieve more during the day. Um, To-do list, dead simple concept but prioritizing, most profitable, working on it solely until it's done. Next task and do it like that. Put your phone away from you is a good tip as well because everyone's addicted to the ping, 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 aren't yeah. they? So when I'm doing a task, I try my best. It doesn't happen always, obviously, but I try my best to be tunnel vision, get that task done in its entirety before you go to the next one. How do you do your to-do list? Is it pen and paper or do you use like a... On notes, just on my phone. Yeah, just on my phone. Um, I used to be more old school doing it on paper, but what you do is you'll lose the notebook or you'll go out and forget the notebook or you'll go on a trip away and you forget the notebook and then you're not as productive. So, um, yeah, just on my, my notes and my iPhone. How was a young Terry growing up in Newcastle? How was it? Um, challenging. Uh, my upbringing wasn't the best. Like, we didn't have no money. Grew up in like a tall block of flats. Um, we didn't have anything growing up. Um, and at the time, you don't realise that. When you're in it, you don't, and unless you're comparing yourself against other kids, which I start to as you get older, they've got nicer shoes, nicer coats, nicer, go on nicer holidays and stuff like that. But we didn't have anything growing up. Um, and then my mum set up a business when I was around about 10, 11, I think, somewhere in that region. And uh, she did quite well. And then she lost it all. So I experienced having nothing and then having something and then having nothing again. And I think that definitely molded me or molded part of the way I think and the way I am because I've still got it in as now. That's why I buy property, which is my safeguard from the businesses because if the businesses, something happens at the businesses, I've got the fallback of property. Yeah. I'm not a property, full-time in property. Like all these people say, I don't think I'd ever be full-time in property. Business is better in terms of income an ROI. But um, but the answer your question, yeah, it was challenging, uh, but I still love Newcastle, for sure. Were you one of them kids who had been in school selling chocolate bars? and? 
I mean, I was, I was the, ch I was the chav of the school, right? So the chav was the naughty kid. I was definitely that. Unfortunately, I upset a lot of people. Uh, I was just a bit of a nightmare as a kid. The naughty kid, getting suspended constantly, nearly got expelled. I was regularly selling something, doing something I shouldn't. Um, yeah, I was a nightmare. I, I really was. When did that change? Uh, age 18 slash 19, when I got into sales. So um, it might turn, you know, people talk about turning points and talk about moments in someone's life that determined or changed your direction. I definitely had one where I'd been out drinking, taking drugs, getting up to no good, um, like Thursday till Sunday, no sleep, just being an absolute idiot, Thursday till Sunday. And I remember it was a Sunday night and I was 19 at this point. And I looked in the mirror and I looked all sucked in, I looked ill. It's because I've been out taking drugs and being an idiot. And, and it was that point when I said, like, this is not for me, this, like, what am I doing? Like, the people I was hanging around with weren't the nicest people. I was getting up to no good, and I was like, I need to stop this now. I got made redundant about two weeks after that, after making a conscious decision to move away from those friends. Lost my job, and I was like, I was a builder at this point. I was like, oh my God, what what's happened? And then I got a job in sales. Um, first week, I just loved it, did really well. And it was that point I knew, right, well, this is the change. This is when I'm going to start to make it. And um, yeah, so that's when it all changed. And then when did you buy your first property? 21, 22. So um, rumour has it that you bought a property for cash for under 20,000. Bought three for under 20,000 all cash. That was my first three purchases was 14 and a half thousand, 16 and a half. And I think it was no, 14 and a half, 16 and 17 and a half. What year was this? So that was, so I'm 34 now, so 12, 13 years ago. Okay, so you're looking at 2008, um, 2009. Somewhere around that region, yeah. And it was, there were, two of them were in the same place, which was Easington Colliery, which is, uh, and you can still pick up properties for 20, 30K around there. They haven't even went up that much. Uh, but you can imagine that the type of area and the tenant profile of what, what I was buying. But I'd never done any ed any education. I'd never read any books on property. I just thought, because I, I was making 80, 90 grand a year when I was 19. And that's a lot of money. It's still a lot of money now. But I was making good money back then. I started to make six figures when I was like 20. Um, and it, it's continued up from there. But because I was making good money, there's only so much you can you can do that with. And I thought, you know, I should really be doing something with this money. And then I just went, like a lot of people do, I went to look at the lowest value properties I could find. Because I thought, oh, well, it just costs us less. I wasn't looking at yield or any of that. It was just the cheapest ones I could find. And my thought process was get people who are on the dole, DSS tenants, um, paying the... Because it used to get paid directly to you. It doesn't happen like that anymore. The government or the councils used to pay us directly. Yeah. So I was getting 385 a property. So I was over a grand on three of them and I'd only put in you know 50-odd K and I was like... Three or five per week? Uh, three eighty five per month per property, so um, I know it seems crazy that doesn't it? Um, but yeah, again I was uneducated. I just done what I thought was right at the time, and that all went it all went it so not not long after that, and I sold them all. What happened? I was reading about one of them. Mm -hmm. So well, the funny story about the horse. Um, so I bought the first one, an Easton Colliery. Uh, that was the cheapest one. That was the fourteen grand one done it up, uh, put a tenant in, started to get my rent. thought, this is great. Bought another one in the same street. 
exactly the same situation. Uh, little refurb, put the tenants in, you know, get me three at five. I was like, this is amazing. I thought I'd like cracked something. I'm a property guy now. Um, then I went to auction to buy another one in the same area and I got outbid. And then there was one in the catalogue, just an external picture. That's only a bit of a giveaway, isn't it? No internal pictures, it's bad inside. Um, so anyway, I ended up buying that one blind, never seen it, never been there. So I got the keys 28 days later or whatever, went round and it was like a U shape, this street. Drove down this side of the street and wrapped it round and every single street on this U was boarded up apart from the one that I bought. So I got round and, and I thought, oh my God, what have I done? I got a sinking feeling in my stomach, what have I done? There was gypsies in the street. There was burnt out cars in the street. Like you've never seen anything like it. It was, it was horrific. Walked in, there was animal shit or something. Oh, sorry, can I swear on this bit? Yeah, I know I swear a lot. Um, I'm a Geordie too. <laughs> but it was just mounds of all sorts on the floor. The smell was horrific. And I walked through like the lounge into like the dining area, kitchen, and there was patio doors. And there was honestly, hand on heart, there was a horse tied to the fence in the back garden. And it wasn't a back garden where you could get, like, I don't know how that horse would go in there because there wasn't, you couldn't walk around the side of the house. It was terraced. So they had to be someone there. I, 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 I don't know. Um, and I seen this horse, I was like, oh my God, <coughs> what have I done? Like, what have I done? And then not long after that, well, I mean, just trying to get that refurb done, I had build, three builders refused to go in there like laborers refused to even empty it. It was that bad. Um, How did you take and, the horse out? Yes, yeah, so, so I get that. So, so basically, loads of builders refused to do it. When I went, ended up going back there, about a month later, the horse was gone. Okay. I hope nothing bad happened to the horse. <laughs> um, I'm assuming it was something to do with the gypsies that were in the street. I'm assuming, Someone's but broken I, I, have, I have no clue, unless they got it from, from the fence. I do seem to remember the fence was all smashed in a little bit, but I honestly can't remember. It was just a bit of a whirlwind, that, that experience. And it didn't put us off properly, weirdly. I just had in my head, well, a little bit after that, sorry. I always remember I was on the treadmill, sorry, I was on the cross trainer in the gym, and I got a phone call, and it was a police. Do you own such and such Anthony Street? And I was like, yeah, this is the f one of the first ones I bought. It's been a serious incident that happened in there. You know, I think someone was stabbed is what, what was told. Um, I had a break-in in the other one. And I was like, all of this was just happening at once. And I was like, I need to ch I just need to sell these. So I put them in a London auction, Barnard Marcus, sold them, pretty much made my money back. Didn't make any profit. I just the wash the face, you know, whatever I put in, I pretty much got back. And then I started to buy properties for around about 100k. So three bed semis, three bed terraces, buy to lets. Um, and yeah, but I'd still never done any education at this point. It was, I was just kind of doing what I, what I thought was right. The, the, one of your houses was a crime scene as well, right? Yeah, so that's the, the, that's Anth the three Anthony streets. Say again? That's when the police, that's the one. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it was cordoned off. I, like I said, I don't think that, I don't think I, I think I got told from a neighbor if I remember correctly. Because I, I remember them telling us, like, what, do, what asking is, what do you know about this tenant? Yeah. I still remember the name, but I'm not going to say the name on here. Um, but I still remember them asking us, and I was like, why do you need to know this? Well, it's a crime scene. Like, how did you manage to get this person? Why did you have them in your property? And they were quizzing me. And I was at the gym, and I was like, what on earth? Like, this is just like crazy. I just need out of these, these properties. Why um, didn't you get yourself educated after that? Or was it more 
Like, it just wasn't a thing. Yeah, it wasn't like, like nowadays, you just have to put on YouTube or you have to put on any social media platform and some sort of education in any industry is pretty much there. It's really accessible. Back then, I, I don't even know if, maybe it's Facebook was around. I can't even remember. I think Facebook was probably around, but. I don't I think there was no YouTube or anything. There was no YouTube. Um, I certainly can never remember watching anything or even seeing anybody advertising like come to, if I if I seen an advert for a property seminar or some education I would have done it because I was really interested in property and I don't know where that came from maybe it's like homes under the hammer or something I, I, I don't know I was interested but I, there was no education available anyway probably it's hard to remember back but maybe it's a couple of years after that my first sort of dealing with any property education was Rich Dad Poor Dad and okay. I read that and that kind of got us but before Rich Dad Poor Dad I was listening to Brian Tracy um, who's really old school self-development nothing to do with property mainly sales goal setting mindsets kind of coaching um, and I got his CD and when I was on my sales calls I used to listen to it in the car and that was my first dealing with self-development then Rich Dad Poor Dad came after that and then when did you start your first business? Uh, well, I was self-employed from 19. So when I, I went into sales, it was self-employed, yeah. yeah. So it was commission only. You know, hard, it's a hard gig that. If anyone's listened, done yeah. self-employed sales, it's a hard gig. Knocking on doors, walking into businesses, trying to sell life insurance. There's nothing even to sell. I was selling ones if you die. Um, so I was self-employed then, kind of, although it wasn't my own limited company, I was still self-employed sole trader. And that set up my first limited company, age 24, which was Bespoke Financial, which was the big business I built, which I exited last year. So, yeah. And why did you decide to say, okay, I want to start my own big business? To start? Business, yeah. yeah um, because I was selling life insurance for two American companies first. The business that I set up was selling life insurance. So, because I worked for a couple of companies for four or five years, making them a lot of money and I was being paid well, don't get us wrong. Um, but I felt like I always had ideas and I had concepts and ways of doing things and I was being told that you can't do that. Or, and I was saying, what about, why don't we do this for, to grow the business this way? Well, you can't do that. And I kept being held back and held back. And if you set up your own business in financial services, selling life insurance and, and arranging mortgages for clients, you do have more scope to do what you want, yeah. but you also have access to more products so when I was selling life insurance for the two American companies, we had four or five products. When I set up, went to set up myself, all of a sudden had 60, 70. So it was better for clients, or could get paid better, and I had more, more options, less restrictions. So it was kind of a natural, it was just a natural progression to do that. A little bit out of frustration of being held back, and um, I was always confident that I could do it. And obviously the money was better. What kind of challenges did you face starting your first business loads to be honest um i made some pretty bad mistakes as you do because even though i was kind of running my own business self-employed when i went to set up my actual own own company um i was 24 looked pretty young um i think a lot of people don't take it that serious i think it's, it's getting that that's getting better now because there's more and more young entrepreneurs and more and more young business owners but you know you're talking 10 years ago so I'm 34 now, a lot of people, certainly in financial services, look down on you if you were younger. And I was then sitting with 50, 55, 60 year old couples trying to talk to them about debt and mortgages. 
and life insurance and dying and writing a will. And they were like, well, who are you? You're too young. Like, yeah. how can you tell me? Like, there was a, definitely a little bit of that. So a mistake that I made was I, I tried to be someone who I wasn't. So I tried to act more, I tried to act in a more corporate way. And I tried to kind of be someone that I wasn't. Um, and the reason for that was because I wanted people to think I was older. So I went through a stage of not telling people it was my business because I didn't want them to think. I was just saying I'm one of the senior advisors. And that actually worked a little bit. Um, but then when I was trying to recruit staff members, I was trying to pretend like I was someone, pretend I was someone that I wasn't. And that worked for a little bit. Um, and then someone said to us, I can't remember who it was or where I got it from. Someone just said, I remember he's read it, was like, just be who you are. And if people don't want to work for you because you are young and you are who you are, then they're not right anyway. And I always remember that. And I thought, right, I'm just going to be me. So I stopped wearing a full three-piece suit like I used to for work. And I just wore a shirt, sometimes a blazer, sometimes just a shirt. And I just be mean, I swear, and I be daft, and I have a laugh at work, and I have a carry on, and all that. And I've recruited an amazing team as soon as I started to do that because I was attracting the right type of people who wanted to work for me because it was me. And then the business literally went like that. So that was a definite mistake that I made. But it makes a difference because you're building your own culture around you and your values. Definitely. Whereas if you're pretending to be someone, then you're building a culture about something you don't even believe in. Exactly. And people do see through it. There might be. They might be fooled by it for a little a little while, but eventually they'll see through it because you can only act for so long and people can, you know, people aren't daft. You can, they can see through it um, for sure. So that, that was it. That was a mistake. I, I did some crazy things like um, I, I, I almost was recruiting on looks at one point. So I was recruiting really good looking females into my business uh, just because they were good looking not because of the attributes or the skill set or their ability to sell or to do any of this. And that was a mistake um, because I, I was making more money than I knew what to do with it at the time. Like I was, I was making good money for, for a young guy and I never had that much money. And, and you, it kind of messes with you a little bit because you go through a bit of a, you think you're something that you're not and you think you're invincible a little bit and you because I was doing so well, I was I was getting away with making mistakes. Um, one thing I've definitely learned in my time in business is, is you have to pay well for good people. At the start, a bit like property, the start you buy the cheapest properties that you can buy. When you're building a business and you're recruiting people, you try and pay people as, as low as possible or put low, you know, put an advert on for a low salary to try and get somebody good. If you want the best people, you've got to pay decent money for yeah. the best people. Um, Managing people, it you've got to manage people differently. You've got to work out what makes them tick. And because some people are certainly salespeople, when I'm recruiting salespeople, some salespeople are solely driven by money. Some people aren't driven by money at all, and they're driven by recognition. And you need to manage those people differently. Some people are just literally want a paycheck, and that's absolutely fine. They just want to get by. So you can't talk about goals and money and aspirations and promotion to the people who just want to get by. To, the, to them, you talk about security, you talk about paying the bills, and you, you know what I mean? And, and I only learned that over time, and I think a lot of people get that wrong, because I've literally had hundreds of people working for us. The, the main business had 120 sales staff when I exited. You know, so you come across a lot of characters in, in a recruitment drive like that, and I don't think you can skip them reps in business. You've got to almost go through that, those motions to learn how to manage different types of people. You've got to make your mistakes, essentially, isn't it? 
I think so. I certainly think it's the best. It's the best way to learn <clears throat> is from mistakes. It's it's also the most costly and the most time consuming. But it's the, certainly for me, it's the best. You you learned your man management. You said over time. Mm-hmm. How were you managing the different people? So obviously sales, you can talk about goals mm-hmm. to them because a lot of them are driven by money or recognition. Mm-hmm. But then you had, I'm guessing, admin staff who just wanted mm-hmm. security, which is obviously fine, and you need yeah. them. You need Definitely. them in business. Definitely. How are you managing all of them differently? So it, it's quite hard to generalize because you know some admin are still quite ambitious and they want to sometimes grow in their career and become the head admin or the office manager. So you look at the person individually and some people are literally just motivated by a good place to work. So we dropped a dress code for our admin staff um, because some of them just didn't want to put shirts on or business attire, they wanted to come in in hoodies. And, and you know, as long as they don't look scruffy, that's, that was fine with me. Building a good working environment, taking them out on team building events, treating them well, paying them on time, Things like we used to do fish and chip Fridays, so we used to all get. I used to buy them all dinner on a Friday, and that's such a small gesture to maybe people like us, but to them it, it meant a lot. And I could yeah. see it when I used to say, right, well, if we, let's say if we had a record breaking month, I used to say, right, well, if we hit this target as a team, so that's the sales staff and the admin staff that process the sales, as a team we will all go out. I'll take you bowling, or we'll go for a few drinks after work, or we'll go for a meal. Christmas time, we used to have a big awards uh, dinner, like a gala event that used to host black tie. Everyone used to get dressed up. And I used to give my sales staff awards, but I used to give the admin awards as well because the, the sales staff couldn't do what they do without the admin and the admin wouldn't have a job without the salespeople. So, but it wasn't like the salespeople are better than the admin people. It was, we are a team. And I used to reward them with lunches, dinners, nights out, and then give, obviously, the, the better ones, the higher performing ones, awards at the Christmas do um, and, and I think that definitely helped and you've just got to find out what makes them tick ultimately and you do that by having one-on-ones with them finding out a little bit about them outside of work what they're like what they're up to do they have a family and whatever and you just you you build your more your your management around that um, some people hate being man managed they hate it um, some people don't mind it some people would be mortified. They would, they would hate it if if I if I disciplined them or told them off in front of others. Some people don't mind it. So there's all of these. That's why I think businesses are better ROI than property, but it's ten times, if not more, harder because you have to deal with things like this, don't you? And you don't know what's coming the next day. Ah, oh, because they could have stuff on the in the personal life, and you could come in and manage them in the way that you have been managing them previously, which has worked. And then they take it the wrong way because they're having difficulty at home. Um, there's so many moving parts and variables to business, but that's why it pays better. Um, what What did you discuss on the one on ones that would make you figure out that this is what makes them tick? So um, what I used to do with all, and I do this to this day in all my different companies that I'm involved in, we have set KPIs. So when somebody joins the business. Obviously, we generally do two interviews and then I make them sign a position agreement. This is before they start working for us. And in that position agreement, we'll have KPIs. So key performance indicators. And that, if it's an administrator, you need to process X amount of sales or cases. 
within a set week or you know you need to respond within 48 hours you need to, whatever their kpis if it's sales they do this many sales or that many sales or they've got to have this quality or that quality so in the one-on-ones we always cover the kpis first how are you and all of the general stuff anything that you're particularly enjoying about the business at the moment and i used to always ask is there anything in particular that you think we could do as a business which either makes us more efficient or brings in more business more efficient is generally targeted at the administrators but the salespeople sometimes brought efficiency um, advice in and the other way around so always covered that and then um we just set little mini goals it used to be three business goals three personal goals and you kind of find out without asking them you find out what makes them tick by what goals they say and if they say well I want to be promoted or I'd like to buy my own house if it's buy my own house which is a lot of people's goal you say okay so where are you looking in this area how much is that going to cost around about this much so are you in a position are you saving at the moment so just to give them advice like that so so have you got credit cards is your credit rating up to date have you got you know, do you separate your, your income every time it comes in? So I used to give them advice like that, just from a, a, a friendship, I suppose, yeah. and a, a, a boss kind of relationship. But then it kind of comes out, when you ask those questions, three personal goals, three business goals, they'll show the cards a little bit. Then you can tailor what you, you know what they want ultimately. And in terms, in, in if you summarize managing someone effectively, you, you're getting them what they want, aren't you? It's basically like sales. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And if you can give, if they can achieve what they want from a personal point of view and a, a career point of view, and sometimes people don't really have career goals, they just want to, like the people who just want to tick along, but they might have really strong personal goals. If you can help them in some way achieve some or all of those goals, personal and career, they're going to stay with you. They're going to love working for you. They're going to look up to you, respect you. So a lot of, if, if you can help fulfill some of those somehow, it's better for staff retention. It's better, the more fulfilled and happy, people who are happy and enjoy coming to work, stay longer and they work harder anyway. Yeah. And a Richard Branson phrase, which I love, and I, it always stuck with us, was train your staff so they're good enough to leave, but treat them, so they, treat them well enough so that they never will. And that always stuck with us and it was like, that's why sometimes we're finished early on a Friday. We've had a long week. I finish at two o'clock today instead of five. Everyone go home and enjoy themselves. That, that, honestly, that gives them so much of a good feeling. You're, I was like a superhero. I was like the best, but used to, and this is a joke in the office. They always used to say, oh, a lot of them used to say I was the best boss ever. And we used to wind them up about it. The boys cups with the best boss ever and all this stuff. It's cheesy, but, um, but that was intentional. And cre- I created that intentionally. I've noticed as well, so when every Friday we buy takeaways or whatever it is for the team mm. and we notice not only obviously they look forward to it, but they work harder to finish everything they can by that time. Mm. Definitely. Then they'll eat and then the rest of the time they'll either, if they've got nothing to do, they'll go home or they'll just take it a bit easy. Because mm. um, some of them just like staying at work for the social yeah, aspect definitely. as well. Definitely. But I have noticed as a business owner, you're not just a business owner. You have to be a friend, advisor. Counselor. Counselor, therapist, <laughs> yeah. everything. You, you um, literally do, yeah. You're right. You're learning on the job. Because mm. how, how do you be a counselor? You don't, but you're literally, you have to switch from boss mode to friend mode, mm. like you said. And it's like, 
okay, they're giving me a problem. I need to figure mm. out some kind of solution, whether it's a personal goal or wherever it is. Yeah, right, and, and that's 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 a good point actually, because it's a hard balance that the the balance of friendship and kind of authority of being the boss is a hard one because if 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 you become too friendly, it's then harder to if they've done something wrong, it's harder to say to them, well, this is what you've done wrong, and this is what you need to do next time. And if you really need to discipline them, as in verbal warnings, written warnings, and all of that, they don't take it the same. So that's that's been, and I've made that mistake. If you get too friendly with them, sometimes it it clouds the line of mm. friendship and the boss kind of thing, and that is it. That is a challenge. That one. Um, and I'm still really good friends with a lot of, and some of my best friends actually, of people who've worked for us in the past and and did until I, I exited. Um, and I crossed the line of I was too friendly with them, but they always still respected that if I told them something when we're in a work environment that it was. It was work. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a hard one. Have you had to fire someone that you were a bit friendly with? Yeah. How, how did you do definitely. it? Definitely. And how was it taken? I, I fired my stepdad. Yeah, my stepdad. That was pretty challenging. Um, yeah, my little brother as well. That was pretty challenging. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> like, business is business. And... And I'm not ruthless, ruthless, but what I have learned over the years is sometimes you've got to you've got to make the tough decisions. You're paid the most as the business owner generally. Uh, not always depends on who's running the business, but generally you're paid the most to make the tough decisions. And it and it, it is challenging, but you've got to if you fire someone, you've got to have rationale as to why you do it. You can't just fire them because you don't like them or because you clash. Um, you can manage somebody out if that's the case. But um, you've got to have rationale. And if, if there's reason behind it, you, you, you explain your reasoning. And it is what it is. How did them conversations go with your stepdad and brother? Because um, that probably took you a long time just to gain the courage to do that. No, I wouldn't say it took a long time. It was more, but it almost becomes a mutual decision. So certainly if you're looking at these two people in sales, so certainly if you're looking at sales, if someone isn't performing as a sales rep, a sales consultant, whatever you call them, if they're not hitting their targets for a couple of months in a row, <clears throat> it's probably, it's likely that it's creeped into their head that this isn't for them either. So it's not like it's a shock to them, certainly if you're talking about firing salespeople, yeah. um, because they know that they're not performing, they haven't been performing for a certain amount of time. So you just highlight that to them in the one-on-ones. Why do you think this is happening? You know, do you think this is for you? And you kind of come to that um, almost a mutual agreement. It wasn't like, you're fired like Alan Sugar. It was like it came to a mutual agreement because I'm helping them and helping them and then they're not getting anywhere. They're not getting results. They're getting frustrated. I'm getting frustrated. So then it comes, a, it's a little bit of a softer approach and that's that's a way. To be fair, that's the way I got, I, I, I got rid of, if that's the right phrase, a lot of the people that I did Sounds have like to get rid of. Off. Say again? Sounds like you're killing them off. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> How but, are your relationships now with your... Oh, really good. Really good, yeah. Really so good. Yeah, it didn't, didn't affect. I mean, well, it was my little brother. We did a little bit at the time. But then he actually came back to work for the business about two years later. And I wasn't... Um, I wasn't open to it at the start. And then he, he made it work. So um, I think he was too young at the start. 
What what other businesses do you have? So you have eleven, right? Yeah, eleven limited companies. Yeah, so there's a load of battlelets, there's HMOs, there's Airbnbs, hotels, uh, bar, restaurant, coffee shop, glamping site, letting agency. We just launched this month, actually. Um, construction business. Um, the well, the podcast and the books aren't a limited company. I've got various JVs. Um, I feel like I'm missing something. It's hard to remember, to be quite honest. Um, Oh, well, the life insurance and mortgage brokers, I still own the limited company, but we're doing a, a quirky sale, but I still own that company. So that's the other one. So did you grow them organically, like kind of a integration into your businesses, existing businesses? Like, for example, you've got the buy-to-lets mm -hmm. and the hotels, and then it's like, mm -hmm. okay, let's open a construction arm. Yeah, 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 kind of. Um and like all the decisions I make across all the businesses are, are always based on numbers and logic, not not emotions. So things like the construction business, I'm heavily refurbing stuff. Or I haven't probably not, I haven't stopped refurbing something for probably four or five years. I'm almost refurbing something, it feels like. So it made sense yeah. to get lads involved to do that. And then we can do work for other landlords and other investors. Um, we've just, we're actually launching an eco business at the moment. Um, Went through all the qualifications now, which is basically, without boring any of the listeners, there's a, there's a lot of government funding to improve the energy efficiency of homes. So you can get free solar panels, new heating system, new radiators and all of that. So we went through the training. We've got the certification now. So we're accredited through Trustmark, which means we can get government funding to improve people's homes for free. So the owners of the houses pay nothing. We get paid to do the work. So that it made sense to do that business because... It didn't organically go to that, but it made sense to do it because everyone's, you know, EPCs are on a lot of people's minds, energy bills are on a lot of people's minds, and it's linked to what I already do anyway. I already had the construction lads, I've already got contacts with all the landlords and trades. So that just kind of made sense. And then I look at an opportunity with numbers and logic, and if the numbers stack and I want to do it, it's logical, then I'll do it. The letting agency came from managing my own for yet for a couple of years not me but the team managed mine to then thinking right well why don't we just manage other people's and that only launched uh, 11th of august this month and there's 96 properties on the books already including mine mine 40 of them are mine but but still um so it's it's kind of a lot of it's linked to property in some way or another yeah because um, you've not gone like completely left and decided no. to do Softwares, building softwares, no, or no, no, something not at like all. That. But it's all kind of linked, which kind yeah. of helps anyway. Yeah, definitely, because you can. The the kind of tr some businesses trickle into other businesses, don't they? And they help other ones, um, and it's all kind of blended together in a way. You know, how I have one office, where all the staff are in. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how I've done it. How are you like scaling up, like all the different businesses? Some of them this year is very much about not looking not reinvesting so i'm only going to buy a handful of properties this year i've only bought three so far but from 2022 to probably 2019 maybe maybe even 2018 i've been buying double figures a year so buying more than 10 a year every year this year was a year it was very much looking at it for me was like right let's actually consolidate a little bit selling off a few um just because of rates don't stack no more consolidate, make everything as profitable as possible. And that's probably the first time I've actually like looked sideways and backwards instead of always looking forward. 
for a good, you know, you're probably talking five plus years. All I've done is reinvest money, reinvest, buy more, buy more, buy more properties, reinvest into the business, recruit more people, build, build, scale, scale, scale. That's all I've done for years. And this, it, it, was, it was a little bit challenging to actually do this exercise and actually, right, well, hold on. Let's look sideways a little bit. What have we got going on? Can we make this more profitable? And look at this trail of destruction that I've left behind us, buying all these properties and hotels and all of that, and let's actually just make it as profitable as possible. And then before we go again. So, I, think, I think that's quite normal in, a, in business or even multiple businesses because when you're growing, you're constantly mm. adding, adding, adding. And then it's you're like, in the growth phase, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, and then it's like, okay, let's slow down, streamline. You then notice your cost, your profit per team member has probably gone up. Your Yeah, definitely. Um, general ROI is going up. And then it's like, okay, let's go again. And it's always like grow, streamline, grow, streamline. I've noticed that yeah. a lot. Yeah, I mean, don't get us wrong, we always, you know, I've, I've done monthly P&Ls for as long as I can remember. I've always had a good handle on the numbers across every business, but this was probably the first time I, I said, right, I'm not going to keep buying properties at the volume, at the rate I was buying them. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, we, we got rid of some stuff. I, I got rid of, obviously, the main business, um, and it was very much just like, right, well, let's, Instead of just getting the new person to bring in more revenue or to do whatever, let's actually just pause a little bit. And maybe that's because we had another baby last year and he doesn't like sleeping. So I've been more tired than I have been in previous years. It was a bit of that. And I think I've changed a lot as a person. Since selling that business, it was like, I've definitely changed a lot. Um, yeah. So I think that was, that, that was partly down to, to that as well. Why did you decide to sell? Timing was just right. It was a good offer and the timing was right. And <clears> I felt <throat> like I was at the right stage to leave that because it was a life insurance and mortgage brokers. That's all I've done since I was 19. Not, well, not all I've done, but the, the bulk of what I've done has been that. That's how I made all my money. That's how I bought the properties. It was all the profits from these businesses. Um, so 19 to 33, it's a decent chunk of my life and I just thought you know what I think I'm ready to try something new and I did wobble a bit I must admit because we just talked a bit off camera about Monday morning meetings so I'd had a 10 o'clock Monday meeting motivational Mondays we used to call it for whatever that period is 14 well not from 19 I suppose from 24 to 33 so nine years call it religiously every Monday 10 o'clock motivational meetings I'm on the stage giving it all this and when I'm no, no longer involved in that business 10 o'clock Monday came and I was like what what have I done have I made the right decision like I've read books where people have said when you sell a business it messes with your head and I thought nah not me I've got loads of other businesses it's not going to happen to me but it did it did because Part of my identity was that business. Part of my purpose was that business. Loads of my friends and family still work at that business. I'm no longer the person at the ring anymore. I'm no longer on the stage. I'm no longer the person that's giving out the awards and paying the wage and doing all that. And I was like, so you have to almost reinvent yourself a little bit, which I've went through now, thankfully. But there was probably a space of a couple of months where I like, and it was, I was getting less sleep because of the baby. <laughs> it was all the same time. I moved, I bought a big house. And we had the baby, and I sold the business in the same month. Yeah, that's crazy. And it was like, and this house that we bought needs a full refurb. 
every room needs someone. And I was like, and we just had a baby and I no longer have my purpose. I just got hit from every angle all at once. And then when you're not getting any sleep, it was like, pfft. yeah, I wobbled. I didn't have any mental health issues at all. I, I, I've never had any, thankfully. Um, but yeah, I was just like, wow, like my life is like completely different to what it used to be. So you have to so, literally rewire yourself. Yeah. And literally. Then, I think it's just a reset where you just got pen, paper, coffee, <laughs> right? Whatever mm. down comes to your head and then restructure mm. your life because your life has essentially changed because you don't have that business anymore. D definitely. And, and that was that was like what I'm most known for in certainly the Northeast is for building bespoke financial because it was my baby and we won something like 15 national awards. I've won awards in Iceland, Poland, Berlin, um, all over the world, I've won them everywhere because we used to get taken on these big conventions and we were the number one on the stage getting these huge awards, you know, beating companies that have been around 25, 30 years. We were the company and I was the man and all of a sudden that's not there anymore. It was, honestly, it was a really strange feeling. Um, but I still think it was the right thing to do. And I know that I couldn't open the doors that I'm opening now and getting into the things that I'm getting into now if I still had that business. I, I couldn't have. And you have to shut one door almost to open another. And certainly from a time perspective, from an energy perspective, it drained a lot. And, you know, I know I'm, I'm going to get into bigger things and I know I'm going to do something bigger than that ever was. But I have to, I have to shut the door in order for that to happen. How's your day-to-day -day looking now? So what do you do at 10 o'clock on a Monday? 10 o'clock on a Monday is normally having meetings with all my senior staff and the other businesses. <clears throat> so we'll plan for the week ahead on a Monday. So Monday consists of, I speak to all my senior staff, so my PA, my ops manager, in-house accountant, um, guest services. I speak to the main people who I need to speak to, where we plan stuff for the week. Marketing guy who I've just took on. So we'll plan the content, we'll plan everything for the week ahead. Um, a little bit about what happened last week. Did we do everything we achieved? Is there anything that's going to spill over into this week? But it's mainly a whip meeting, work in progress, WIP, what's the plan for the week? Set some KPIs. And it's like a planning day. I look at Mondays now. It's not as enjoyable as it used to be, me giving it all that, doing the motivation stuff. Um, but yeah, that's what Mondays consist of now. It's like you've, you've always got a bird's eye view but you're less in the businesses and now you're to level up. You need to take that that position where you're planning mm. and you're strategizing. Definitely. Definitely. And, and you know, I've still got 40 odd staff now and, you know, you can't, you can't manage for, I mean, at one point I had over 150 because I had, before I sold everything, I had 120, there was loads of stuff going on. It's impossible to manage that many people yourself directly. But what you can do is you can manage your key team members who then manage people further down. Yeah. So at the hotel bar and restaurant, I only manage one person. She then manages the rest. Because you, you can't manage that many people. Do you know, do you know what yeah. I mean? So that's definitely from looking from a bird's eye. And that's one of the, the hardest things, I think, as well as a business owner. Certainly if you're relatively new to business or you've only been doing it a few years, you want to try and do everything. You want to try and manage everyone. You want to be everyone's friend and everyone's counsellor <clears throat> and everyone's boss all at the same time. And you want to dip in and out and you want everyone to need you and you want everyone to, to think that you're the person that, that everything has to go through. But then as with time, you've got to park that ego 
And you've got to realize, like you rightly say, if you want to go to that next level and the one above, you can't act like that. How do you find the balance then between being available for everyone and being available for yourself and your goals? Because that is difficult to balance out. Mm. I've found that and I think I'm getting better at it over the last one, two years where yeah. we've still got open door policy. We have about 15 staff across yeah. our offices, but we've got open door policy. Yeah. But at the same time, it's when I need to do something or I need to do some planning, I won't sit in the office, I'll go to a cafe and start planning mm. with the laptop. But how do you find that balance? Something you said there's so true <clears throat> because what I found was actually COVID done this. So before COVID, I used to be in the office every day. And um, when you're in the office every day, whether you like it or not, and I had an open door policy, they just come in and ask questions, don't they? Terry, what about this? Terry, what about this? Guess what happened last night? Did you watch this on TV? It's just, you can't get away from it, right? And you're almost too available, aren't you, when you're in the office? Yeah. So COVID forced us to obviously work from home. By the way, our mortgage and, and life insurance brokers, um, we doubled in size in COVID. Um, didn't shut one day. I worked more during COVID. I didn't. I wasn't in lockdown. I was working I'm constantly. More life insurance. Than... Yeah, because everyone was worried about dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we'll park COVID. My views on COVID won't, won't discuss that. Um, but yeah, in terms of like distancing yourself a little bit, I think that's key. And it naturally happened to me just because of the office thing. But then when you realise that, like when I had this big sales team, we then set up team leaders and a sales trainer. So I got to a stage where they didn't ask me any questions. I didn't even do the training. I just used to do motivational Mondays and that was it. Whereas years and years ago, I was the, doing the motivational Mondays. I was doing the training. I was the person that they rang off the with a client and they didn't know what to do. I was the person when they didn't understand the product. I was everybody. So and I was managing the admin staff and the office manager and all of that. It was crazy. But you've just got to, you've got to bite the bullet. You've got to let go. You've got to park your ego and you've just got to think, do you really want loads of hassle and loads of stress and you being sucked into all these conversations? If you remove your ego, the answer's normally no. So that, if that is the case, then you need to remove yourself. Sometimes you just don't answer the phone when they ring you, <laughs> as daft as that is. And you have a voicemail to say, if it's urgent, WhatsApp is, or if it's this, email this person. I think what, and what I've started to do is spend time a bit away from the office and also let them figure it out themselves. Like they're smart enough, they're mm. recruited, and I've recruited them because they're smart enough to find the solution mm. to the problems that yeah. arise. And once you let them figure it out, they know they can do it. Mm. But sometimes it's, when you're there, it's, well, it's easier it's just to ask the responsibility. It's easier to ask, yeah. Great, great tip on this one. I don't know who, where I got this from, actually, but I've done it for years, is having a how-to file. So the how-to file was every time I was in the office and somebody asked a question. So it might be, how do we input this bit of information into this software? So I said, right, so voice recorders, and because you've asked the question, voice recorders, and then I want you to write that question and the answer in the how-to file. So then tell them the answer, the voice recorder, and they put it in the how-to file. And this used to annoy them, you can imagine, yeah. right? You say, ah, oh. we put it in the how-to file. And then, when, then eventually with time, it's only hard at the start, but then with time, the start of then, when they ask a question, you say, well, have you checked the how-to file? They say, oh, well, well, I don't think it's in there. Well, have you checked? So then they used to go and check, well, if it's not in there, right, I'll tell you this one once, 
record it, you put it in because you asked the question, and then after that, it's in there. And then with time, the starter then stop asking the questions because then they look in the how-to files first, and they only ask a question when it's not in there. But then what you've also got is you've got a system and a process for anybody buying that business because then everything is in the how-to file. I've started doing that as well. It's great, I, honestly. I just great. made them write it down. I said, okay, you don't know, I'll train you, then write it down step by step. Mm. And it makes Put it in a flow easy. chart, some sort of flow chart system or something, it's documented. And then it's a proper business because then you're less needed. And that is a f strange feeling as well, mind. When you're less needed and you almost make yourself redundant a little bit, that's a bit of a strange feeling as well. But also that means if you want to exit or you get an, you get an offer, with a fully systemized business where the staff know what they're doing to get a much better offer. Yeah, it's worth more, 100%. It's and, it's, and, and people f people don't realize this, that you don't. most people don't even have businesses. They think they have a business, and they say they're a CEO or an entrepreneur on LinkedIn and all of that. But in reality, they don't even have a business. They've got a really, well, sometimes high paid, sometimes not. High stress, you know, drains a lot of your energy job. And they work for a knobhead who is themselves. That, that, that's literally what these people have got. And you say to them, like, someone said to me years ago, so if you had six months off work, no phone, would your business still run and grow? And I said, definitely not. Two weeks, it would probably go down the pad. And like, it, but it wouldn't even run, never mind grow. But in order to get your business to a stage where it runs and grows, if you had six months off, that you, ha you can't be in the office every day. You can't be answering questions or aiming. It's got to, you've got to have staff and systems in place so it all runs without you. And that's definitely difficult and it definitely takes time. It took me probably two years to get that business to that stage from thinking about it like, like that. Making yeah, consciously, yeah. yeah. And it was probably, honestly, it was a good two years. Um, but then once it's done, it's done. I started doing that during... I think it was during COVID that I saw, you know, mm. I'm taking myself out bit by bit. And then COVID was what, March 2020. Yeah. And then in October 21, I went Mauritius. And what happened was while I was in on a boat on the mm. Indian Ocean, my phone fell inside the water. <laughs> so I had no access for two weeks. I had an iPad where I sent one email. I said, my phone's in the water, don't contact me. Yeah. And I sent it to my accounts, uh, yeah. my accountant at the time. Yeah. And she sent it to everyone. Um, wow. So two weeks, that business was running. I thought I've done it. Yeah. So now I can, like, mm. I can be here for two three days. Um, I can mm. go Saudi like I am in a couple of weeks, mm. and not have to worry. Don't have to worry. There'll still be questions. My mm. my VA will send me an update every day, and I can look at it and answer it. But it takes much less of my time, mm. which is, I think is a game changer. Mm. Which means we Definitely. can focus on the Definitely. most profitable tasks. Strategy bringing in the money, the most profitable stuff, definitely. And, and honestly, I know that like anyone listening to that will think, you know, that you're right, but it still doesn't mean that everyone does it. And honestly, the amount of people that can't do this is quite scary. Like I coach quite a few business owners and property people and a lot of them, they're just they're in the business. They're not, they don't even know how to or, or have never really worked on it or the chances or the opportunities to work on it that they get is very, very slim. Because the two, the two in the business, and sometimes that's ego, sometimes it's knowledge, sometimes it's they're just caught up in this trap, aren't they? And they're, they're firefighting constantly. Um, but anybody at the top or anybody at that relatively high level has learned that that's what you have to do. 
it's like the Alex Ferguson school of management because he's mm. big on man management. Mm. And then he, especially towards the end of his career, he used to delegate everything. Mm. And he used to have a room on top of the training ground where he's literally got the bird's eye mm. view of what's going on. Oh, is he really? I've meant to read his book. His book's meant to be amazing. Yeah. I've seen a couple of interviews with him and he is, um, he is mega, like, isn't he? Mega. He, I think he used to go, oh, he used to do speeches at Harvard. Oh, talking really? about... Uh, I think that management. might have been one that I've watched. Is it on YouTube, that one? I think so. I've definitely watched something. It, um, now that you said that, he's got a whiteboard behind him. Yeah, I think so. It's yeah. like in a classroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen that one, yeah. There you go. What's your next plan? You sold the business. Mm -hmm. You've got a newborn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your next plan? Are you planning to take it easy? I did think that when I was... During the sale process, I was like, oh, I'll be retired, I can chill out and all of that. But I'm busier now. Honestly, I think I'm busier now than I was before that. Um, so I, I've learned about myself during this like reflection period and finding myself again and all of that. During that time, I've realised that uh, I'd love being busy. And don't get us wrong, at any point, if I want to, I can just take as much time off as I want. Everything still runs. To a degree, a little bit of obviously the coaching you can't do. If it's me that the one that I can't do that, but majority of what I'm involved in runs without me. I can take any time off that I want whenever I want. And that's a good feeling. Although I have maybe two, three holidays a year, a couple of weekends away, have Christmas off, I don't work weekends. But I can have the time off as much time off as whenever I want, really. So although I don't always take it, I can do. So life is different in a way now to what it used to be. But but I like to keep, I've just learned about myself. I like to be busy. I like to create new things. I like to be forward thinking. Like this guy I've actually just took on, his position's going to be digital marketer, but it's using AI. So he's almost an AI person. And I've never took on, I don't know many people taking on AI people apart from Google and them, but this guy is shit hot with AI. I'm not going to pay him well, but I want to be forward thinking and I want to keep creating and growing everything. My content's going to ramp it up. Um, to answer your question, what my plan is now, it, it's very much certainly the new stuff that I'm involved in. We need to grow those businesses. The businesses that I've got, we're focusing on profit. And I just like to keep busy. I want to keep myself busy, happy, fit, and fulfilled. That's that's kind of what I'm about. You've written how many books? Two books. Two books, yeah. Why did you write them? Or what are they called? So, why did you write them? so Be Align was the first one. That actually, I can't believe this. This one, Business <clears throat> Book of the Year at the Paris, San Francisco and Hollywood Book Festivals. I don't know how that happened, but there you go. Little plug there. Um, so Be Lion is about, I came from a training session that I was doing. I mean, motivational Mondays, actually. So she's do training sessions with the staff. And it came about where we started talking about, I don't know where it came from, it just came out my head and out my mouth about lions. So... <clears throat> Everyone's watched some sort of documentary or seen a clip of a lion chasing an, another animal, right? And killing a zebra or a wildebeest or whatever, right? So, I mean, I don't know much about lions, but my perception of lions is they wouldn't think, if they seen a zebra, they wouldn't think, mm, not a day. Don't think I'm fast enough to get that zebra. It looks a bit too strong, that zebra, or it's a bit too muscly, that wildebeest. I don't think they'd think like that, right? Well, that's right or wrong, I don't know, but that's my perception. So living a life like a lion is where you have zero self-doubt in whatever that you are chasing. So whether it's a goal, whether it's 
you know, chatting up a, a partner, whether it's recruiting somebody, whatever it is, you shouldn't doubt yourself because the only doubts that you really have are the ones that you put in your own head. And that's like living a life of a lie and doing what you want, when you want, on your terms and not doubting your own, your, your own ability or yourself. And then there's another, there's, a, there's other analogies in the book, which is uh, hyena. So hyenas are those um, animals that like cackle and laugh, don't they? So I got some stick online about this the other day because someone was educating us on hyenas. I don't really care about what hyenas are really like, but the analogy everyone understands, which is we've all got those people that laugh at us, right? The people that take the mick out of us or try and put us down, kill our dreams, squash our aspirations. We've all know people like that, whether that's an ex-partner, a friend, a family member, a colleague, someone on Facebook, a hater who comments on a hyena video. So we've all got them in our life, right? And even if you're a strong lion, if you've got 10 hyenas around you, they're probably going to win the fight and they're going to bite you and do whatever and they're going to kill the lion, kill your dreams. So you've got two options there. You can either keep the hyenas away from you and fight them off. And even if you've got one or two snapping at your heels, you'll still be able to fight them off. Or you get around a load more lions so it doesn't matter if there's a hundred hyenas, they can't attack you because you've got lions around you. And everyone gets those analogies, right? Everyone visualizes a lion, visualizes a hyena when I'm saying that. And the last analogy in the book is about sloths. So sloths are those creatures that crawl really slow along the trees like this, right? So we all know them in life as well, don't we? We know the sloths where they're really slow. They don't really achieve very much. They don't really do very much. They don't really get by and do anything massive in their life. They just get by, don't they? They just tick along. Try and talk to them about, have you ever talked to someone about your big goals and dreams about Dubai and Saudi and all these amazing things? And they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. How are you never going to do that? What do you mean? Nah, that'll never work. Like, that's a little bit like hyenas, but sloths are like, what, what is Saudi? What do you mean? How do you buy your buy to let? You know, them type people. And there's nothing against these type people. I'm not slagging them off. But we all know them, right? We definitely all came across them. So what you need to learn is to get, don't hang around with the sloths because you'll just become a little bit slow. So you need to get rid of the sloths, get rid of the hyenas. And if you become a lion, you be a lion in your life, you'll generally achieve more in all aspects and live a more fulfilled, happy life. You talk about the lion mindset a lot. Mm -hmm. So is that more about just chasing what you want and doing what you need to get there? It's, it, that's part of it, yeah, definitely. It's, it's about when you look at a situation like a lion looks at a zebra or a wildebeest or whatever, a buffalo, when he looks at a situation, he's just not going to doubt himself. So if you look at your own situation, if you think there's a new, building, um, a new business idea, a new concept, uh, a new method, a lead generation tactic or whatever, just not doubting yourself in your own ability and giving it a try. Not every, the, the lion doesn't catch its prey every time, does it? No. It, often it won't, it'll fail, it might be, not be fast enough or it might escape or whatever might happen. But it is about doing, it's just about going for whatever it is that you want and stop doubting yourself because we weren't born with any doubt. You didn't have doubt when you came out the womb, right? You, that has been developed over your habits, choices, behaviours, life, whatever's happened to you has got you to a stage of whether you've got huge self-belief or no self-belief. But you can change all of that. So that's what it's about. It's about things like working in a pride, working together with other lions, keeping away from the hyenas and the negative people in your life and not being a little bit slow like the sloth. Um, there's more to it in, in the book. And I talk about all my ways of 
getting rid of self-doubt and the way I look at situations and attack things. And there's another actually good big point of the book is certainly in my own understanding and when I speak to a lot of people, I get this impression that a lot of people think like you can't have everything. And what I mean by everything is you can't be a good parent and spend time with your missus or your partner and your kids. You can't keep fit and go to the gym and eat healthy as well as earn good money, as well as have a business and buy property and have time off and have holidays and have a social life with your friends. People think you can't do all of it at once. They think like, well, I haven't got time to go to the gym because I need to be at work. Or I haven't got time to spend with my wife and kids because I'm too busy growing my business. Or, you know what I mean? They think it's like one or the other. And I don't know why people think this. Maybe it's a self-limiting belief. Maybe it's, I don't know where it came from, but it does seem to be quite commonly thought of that you can't do everything. But Mally, you can. You can keep fit and be a good partner and a good parent and be wealthy and have multiple businesses and buy property. You can. I do it. And there's loads of people that do more than me. It's about prioritising and having a structure. Yeah. One of your first points, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and nothing was achieved, certainly nothing of any relevance or, or, or any sort of anything that's very big or very good. And nothing like that was achieved without intention. I think that's what people miss. People just think that they're going to fluke the way to the top or luckily get a big break. But nothing really big was done without intention. And I think going back to your lion mindset, lions, what they do is they they would weigh up their prey. So they would sometimes be around their prey and the prey would know they're there for a good few days and then they'll look at the right time and then they attack. They'll be, the prey would be there. One will come this way. Mm. chase them down one would come this way one would come that way and they'll get them in a stranglehold no, they're not always successful yeah. but most of the time I'm guessing they are and, and, and that comes out of strategy and working with the right people so you can link that to I think why the book did so well in terms of sales and, and feedback was because everybody can relate to something like that whether it was working as a team or working by yourself or not getting what you want or doubting yourself or there's so many links to that those animals, isn't there, to, that you can sort of relate to your own situation and your own life. And if you look at it from like a wider perspective, the world needs each and every type of person. It needs entrepreneurs. Definitely. It needs a nine-to-five. It needs... The welfare system needs people and benefits as well. That's just mm. the way the system's created. It's the same with in the jungle. You need the lions. The lions need the prey. The prey needs the grass. It's exactly. a food chain, yeah, Exactly. Exactly. If you had a 16-year-old Terry sitting next to you today, what mm-hmm. would you say to him? Nah, so at 16, I was getting up to no good, so it would be stop taking drugs and drinking all the time and being an idiot. Um, but honestly, someone asked me this on the podcast the other day. I wouldn't change that much if you look at my business career because, yes, I could say things like, I wish I was educated more or better. <clears throat> Um, in terms of property, I got a mentor earlier and all of these things. But would I still be who I am? Yes, I might be a better version of me, but I might be a worse version of me. You, you don't know. And I think you shouldn't really look back and try and change too much because unless you're really unhappy about where you are in your current situation, then then yeah. But if you're happy, which I am, I'm very happy. I'm very content. I've done really well. I'm definitely not content and I, I definitely want more still. 
but but I wouldn't really change much because I I like who I am. Um, there's obviously loads of little stupid mistakes you make along the way, right? But um, nothing major that jumps out when you say that. You you mentioned about getting educated. I think when sometimes as a person is just not book smart, mm. or they don't want to be book smart. But when you're into businesses, you realise that I need to learn more, and then you're kind of learning on the job, mm. and then doing a lot of self development. Mm. Uh, audio books or book that rich dad poor dad because yeah, yeah. you did that a bit later on after yeah, yeah. you started so what was your question sorry no just a comment oh, so I, I thought you asked the question there but, <laughs> um, but yeah no I, to, oh, to, to follow on from what you said there definitely I think one thing I've noticed about myself in this reflection time as well in regards to self-development is I am obsessed with self-development but I I, I don't want to change that like it, it, it keeps me sharp and I also look at self-development in a slightly different way because, yes, I, I listen to podcasts, I listen to audio books, uh, I read. Uh, certainly, if I don't listen to a podcast or an audio book, I do that pretty much every day. Even when I'm in the shower or I'm training, I'm in the car a lot. I do I do that type of self-development literally every day. Don't read every day. Um, but I also look at self-development in a way of, like, when, I'm, when I come across a situation that, I'm in that I maybe don't like or something that I don't know how to deal with or I've never experienced before or I've got a big goal that I've that, that I'm a little bit unsure about how I get there I'll ring people or contact people who have already done that and that that is a way of self-development for me because I ask them questions and I'm good at asking questions to get the to get the info that I want that's the same isn't it or networking with people who are doing a lot more than you that is the same thing <clears throat> and I don't think people look at it like that they look at networking as like, you know, it's something that the tool that they should do. But do you actually have an objective when you go in networking? Because you should do. And you should spot who you want to speak to and speak and ask them the questions. Get the number. Take them for a coffee afterwards. Someone asked me, I think it was yesterday, what advice would you give to someone who wants to start a business? So two things, get pen, paper, coffee. Mm. Write your ideas down. Number two is get on LinkedIn, message a whole lot of business owners, ask them for a 15-minute call and Ask them what you want. Definitely. Because that networking is so important for, yes, personal development and mm. along with building your client base and everything. But personal development is so key for because you know something I don't, I know something you don't. And you have information that I might want. Mm. And it's just like you said, exactly. asking the right questions at the right exactly. time. And, and you can, you can learn from other people's mistakes. But there's also, <clears throat> I do think, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who'll watch this podcast and they'll watch other podcasts and they'll listen to books and they'll read books and they don't do anything with it. Now, that that's a different thing in itself. I think some people are a little bit addicted to, to this type of stuff, but they don't do anything with it. Yeah, it's literally pointless listening to this. If you're not going li to listen to something that you've said or I've said and implement it or learn from it or be inspired by, it is pointless it's pointless, isn't it? It's a waste of time. And I do think there's a lot of people out there that are just, they like listening to it, but they do nothing with it. Yeah. Which is just, it, it defeats the, the object. You have to implement it. Yeah. I'm quite a logical person, me. If I'm, like, if I'm going to listen to a podcast, I'm listening to it for a reason. I want to get something from it. And if, if I'll only listen to someone who I like, I like or I look up to or respect or who's achieved more than me or has done something I want to do, or like the way they do stuff. Yes, you can watch stuff for humour and stuff, you know, comedians and all that. But self-development, it, it, I want to get something from it. So because I look at that from a logical point of view, I want to get something from it. When I learn something new, I implement it straight away. 
Because if you, the longer you leave something, the less likely you are to do it at all. It's procrastinating just basically delays you even doing it. And I think there's a stat, it's something like three or four days with an idea. You've had an idea for three or four days, you're not going to do it. Yeah. It's pretty much 90%, you're not going to do anything with it. So, so a big key to it is if you learn something in this podcast or any other podcast, do it like today. Don't wait until tomorrow or next week because it, it never comes. Get your focus right and do it. Yeah, write it down. I'm a big believer in writing down. I know you've mentioned that a couple of times. I'm a big believer in that. That's in the in the B-line book about my morning habits. And I have slipped off a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I have slipped off with me writing since the baby. But um, I still write my goals down most mornings. I used to be religious, like four, five, eight, four pages every day. Because um, something magic happens when you write it, doesn't yeah. it? It, you it reinforces, doesn't it? I'm a big believer in that. Just a quick fire round before we finish. Mm-hmm. Favourite food? Favourite fruit? Food. Or food. Steak. Nice. You need to go to Africa. So you get the steak yeah. and you get to see the lions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't know if I'd eat a lion. I wouldn't eat a lion, just to point that out. <laughs> yeah, steak over... Yeah. Uh, or beef, basically. Cows, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, favourite holiday destination? Ooh, Ibiza. Favourite book? Be a lion. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, it's got to be... Um, <clears throat> well, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was probably there up until just literally, like, well, a hundred uh, Alex Hormozy. So I've read $100 million uh, offers and these new ones just came out and I'm reading it right now. And I'm, it's nearly my fate, honestly. That guy is something else. I don't know if you've read it or you've listened to his content. Oh um, my days, he I is. I was thinking of him right now when you're talking about podcasts. Mate, he is unreal, unreal. Um, so that might be Pip and Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It might be. If you had to have a superpower, what would it be? See it in the future. I think that'll be a bit. Mm, I don't know. I wouldn't use it for personal things. I would use it purely for business. So you can predict. Bought Bitcoin at the right time, investing in certain yeah, stocks at the right time. Bit. You'd be a billionaire, be the richest person in the world. Favorite day of the week? Used to actually, well, no, it didn't used to be Mondays. I was going to say, Mondays used to be right up there when I used to do my motivation stuff, but uh, Fridays. I can't do the thing now where I point at the back and say, right now, we, when we do the podcast in my office, we have the I Love Monday written at the back. I do. <laughs> so I normally have a point at the back, so that's Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, Terry, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. I know you've got a busy schedule ahead. And thank you for coming on. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it.